0: We turn to Luke 18. You may remember we were in this passage last week. And we looked at the parable of the persistent widow. Learning about persistent prayer. And now we're going to look at the Pharisee and the tax collector. These are parables, but they are true to life. And they certainly hold lessons for us. And we read just the text, verses 9 through 14, the Pharisee and the tax collector. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am... Not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, and, oh, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. And he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted may the lord bless these words of warning and encouragement we might turn away from our pride and trust in the lord even in the midst of our deep need of a savior Shall we pray for blessing? Teach us again, Lord, the marvels of saving grace and of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Not too long ago, I came across a funny word. You may have heard of it, but I had not. It is the word humble brag. I guess it's one word, humble brag. Maybe you've heard of it. I don't know. Funny word. But the idea is, you're acting real humble, but while you are telling everybody how humble you are, you are really boasting and bragging. i got some illustrations for you. Oh no, I just spilled red wine on my new book contract, bumbling me. You had to mention that book contract, didn't you? You're not talking about how bumbling you are. You're talking about how popular you are to get this contract. Oh, let's say you're on the Tennessee River. I've been on the Tennessee River many times. I drove by different places on the way down here. Reminded me of the time I've been out on the river on my kayak. And you can even go out on the river on an inner tube. And this humble brag comes from a little guy who's in his inner tube. And an 80-foot yacht passes by. And the guy on the yacht yells down, "Your inflatable inner tube is way cooler than my 80-foot yacht. You get to be so much closer to the water and to nature. I envy you. I really do." I don't think so. He's just giving it getting a chance to talk about his 80-foot yacht. I I might rather have an 80-foot yacht myself, I suppose. Here's one. Relevant to April 15th or 17th or whatever it is this past year. I just filed my taxes. Biggie was right. More money, more problems. In other words, he has to pay a lot of taxes, but he made a lot of money. And that's what he's really talking about. Oh, poor you. Oh, poor you and your big yacht and all the money you have and how it is that you had this new book contract. This is what we might call false modesty, pretending to be humble. There's a character in Dickens called Uriah the he- Uriah Heap, and he was famous for pretending to be humble. And he would say, "Oh, I'm so humble, I am. I am very, very humble, of course." And he was really bragging about his humility. It's so hard to comment on pride, isn't it? We see pride so easily in others, but we don't see it very easily in ourselves. You can't escape it. I can't escape it. That's why I hesitate to bring a message like this, because I know I'm going to be talking about myself, really, ultimately, in a negative way, because all of us forget where we came from. And even where we are now and how short we fall of the righteousness of God, and it's not just Pharisees, therefore, that are proud. John Calvin is famous for saying there's a little Pharisee inside of every one of us, and sometimes he's not all that little. Now, notice that, once again, there's an introduction to why Jesus told this parable. He told it because there were some who trusted in themselves and thought they were righteous. Now, until Christ appeared, the Pharisees could get away with a lot. They were well respected, and they, to their somewhat credit, did believe the Word of God as they saw it, but they thought it was a way to prove and establish their own righteousness before others. They could appear to be different than what they really were. Their mask was on, until Christ appeared to rip it off, and they weren't happy with that. Wait a minute. Who does this guy think he is? And then, having thought they were so righteous, they would also treat others with contempt. And he gives a typical story that is very true to life, I'm sure. And it talks about these two men that went up to the temple to pray. And the lesson seems to be, if you exalt yourself, You will be humbled, and you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. And that's what Jesus actually says in this final verse, verse 14. So last time we saw another parable in prayer saying, look, don't give up when you pray. This week, another task, don't be so full of yourself when you pray. The parable takes the opportunity to give the exact opposite. As you may remember, the unjust judge, unlike God, who will hear our prayers. And here we have a man who is very prideful. The pride of the Pharisee was evident to all. Now, lest you think nobody should have gone to the temple to pray, either one of these men, it was pretty normal to go to the temple to pray. But it was dangerous. Because if you're there, people might notice. And some people going to pray, hope people will notice, like the Pharisee. And others hope nobody will notice, like this tax collector off in the corner. We're told, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be seen by them. They have their reward, or Jesus would say for a pretense. People make long prayers in public. So he says in Matthew 6, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corner. And they would do this. They would go out in the street corner. Oh, Lord, please help me or bless me or whatever, that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Well, what does, what does that mean? Well, other people have seen them. And they say, wow, look at that Pharisee. That's all the reward they're going to get. But when you pray, Jesus says, go into your room and shut the door. And then he teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer, which we've already prayed. Public prayers are indeed dangerous. We end up talking more about ourselves than about God. Mumbling under our breath about how people don't respect you enough. Oh God, I'm such a bad, in bad shape, even though I'm, I've done so many good things. I don't know why people don't appreciate it. Matthew 23 says that the Pharisees do their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. I'm sure we all know what a phylactery is. I never knew that. Phylactery, what is that? Not factory, phylactery. Okay, this is a box that you, stra- I mean, this is really funny. You, you put this box on your head, you strap it on your head, and it has Bible verses inside. Ooh, that sounds really holy. Look, I have the Bible on my head. We are the same sometimes. Used to be the thing to carry big Bibles to church. I guess we don't do that as much. We put that on, we have them on our phones maybe. But when we had big Bibles, and I have to carry one, you know, to see what's going on in the scripture, it's a little dangerous. People carrying their Bibles around, sometimes with engraving of their names. Look, I am carrying a Bible. The Pharisees love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and Greetings in the market marketplace being called rabbi by others. Wow, that's a danger. Particularly for all pastors, even visiting pastors here in Madison, Alabama. It's easy to want others to flatter you or encourage you, as the case may be. But it's really dangerous, lest you think that that's the reason why God loves you, that you have special gifts or you have special importance in some way. And we find that the Pharisees wanted to trust in themselves that they were righteous. They wanted to declare yourself righteous. Now, the problem is, all of us are proud. All of us have a little Pharisee inside of us, and all of us do these little humble brags. Oh, in all my years, I've never seen people in such bad shape. And boy, there are a lot of people in bad shape. And then you might say, all of us have sins, but Some people have more sins than others. We might nod in their direction. Like the Pharisee. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I haven't fallen prey to all of these temptations like sensuality and dishonest business practices. Tax collector. So grateful that I'm not a drug pusher or a pimp like the unchurched out there somewhere, tisk, tisk, tisk. We all tend to do it. It's easy to fall into it. The temptation of respectability is very strong, especially in this part of the country where it's the Bible bell. You don't ask somebody if they go to church. You ask them where they go to church, and, of course, everybody does, and they can say it. Oh, yes. I go to church, and more than just on Christmas and Easter, I'll tell you right now, even go to prayer meeting sometimes. You see that? You see that? We make the grace of God into a reason for personal praise. So be really careful here. This parable tempts us to say, Whew, I'm glad I'm not like that Pharisee. Wow, I really escaped this time. I'm glad that I am like that humble tax collector. I'm very humble, I think, getting more humble by the moment. Well, of course, you realize that the tax collector is someone to look at and understand better than we do. The tax collector stood afar off, meaning he wasn't in the middle of the crowd making a spectacle of himself. He was off to the side praying because he was in the temple and that was a good place to pray but he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven and he beat his breast as a sign of humility saying god be merciful to me a sinner i want to make a similar point as i made last week will god find the faith on the earth this tax collector also says god be merciful to me and technically it says the sinner now why does that matter He's one of many sinners. He's not the only sinner, but he's the only sinner he cares about right then. I'm the only one. I'm confessing my sins about myself. I'm not pointing at that Pharisee saying, and that guy, he's a sinner, but he doesn't admit it. The Pharisee's over there bragging, but notice that the tax collector is just thinking about his own need of a Savior. And it is also heightened by the fact that in the Greek, this is a continuous verb. In other words, he is there beating his breast and saying, perhaps more than once, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he was saying. He continued to stand. He continued to beat his breast. He continued to confess his sin. No excuses. No pointing at the Pharisee. A Continuing act of doing something, and this, too, is something that we should do. God, be merciful to me, we might say to God, the sinner, the only sinner that counts right now, asking for mercy, not gifts, not praise, but thanks from God, praise from the man to whom God had given many gifts And who would be willing to forgive this tax collector's sin. You know what posturing is? Well, we like to have good posture and stand up straight. But posturing means standing up in front of everybody looking good. Oh, yes, the Pharisee was posturing. I'll pick on some people that we all could say are a bit proud Those Hollywood award shows, I haven't watched them recently, but if you happen to see them, there they are. I thank all the little people whom I climbed over on the way up. And yet I have the little man, little statue, right here in my greedy little hands. I'm posturing. I'm standing there for people to see. In my fancy suit or beautiful dress, as the case might be, The psalmist, David, could have stood in his kingly robes as he actually did for a time and imagined that he was immune from sin or if he did sin it wouldn't matter. After all, he was king. But we read from Psalm 51, have mercy on me O God according to your steadfast love because Nathan the prophet told him about his adultery which he knew about and setting Uriah the Hittite up to to die in the battle. And David knew all about that. But Nathan had to say to David, you're the man who is the sinner. Until David said in grief, I have sinned against the Lord. It's a very similar stance that this tax collector says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Such prayers occur in the Bible as in Ezra chapter 9. Ezra says, oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquity, speaking for the people, but also for himself, have risen up higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up the heavens, for from the days of our fathers to this day we have been in great guilt. Now I lived in a dangerous spot myself. I was raised in a pastor's family, and therefore I got to be a PK, you know what that means? Pastor's kid. Some of you may be PKs. Others of you may be even more blessed by being an MK. That's a missionary's kid. Or, okay, an an EK, an elder's kid. Or a DK, a deacon's kid. I don't care. Pick the privilege you happen to have. Well, I was that OP PK. Not only was I a PK, I was in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. My dad was a pastor we did have an opportunity to see some of our high school friends become Christians. And one of them was in a bad shape in her home. She had a stepdad. She had a mother who was very cruel to her. And when she started to be interested in Christianity, her mother made fun of her repeatedly. But she was willing, after a while sitting in the back of the auditorium where my dad was preaching and finally... She needed to be a Christian, and she knew it. But shortly afterwards, she said she noticed two things. She was very aware of her own pride. Get this. She was aware of her own pride. Even though she had many problems in life, she looked at herself as a needy person. And she kept saying, I always say I, 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 as if life is all about me. Interesting. Interesting. But I think she also noticed, and I think she might have told me once, at least, about the pride of the church or people in the church. And I'm sure she did not exclude me. So here's this new believer. Here I am supposedly witnessing to her, but she saw my pride. And she was aware of her own weakness. I think that's true of new believers in general. And believers who have been raised in the church sometimes forget that we are sinners from the very beginning. Or as David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. Even before I was born, I was a sinner. Have you ever admitted that? Now what's interesting is the tax collector would not lift up his eyes to heaven and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then the result in the third place. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, which one? The tax collector who admitted he was a sinner, this man went home. And here's a word from theology and from the Apostle Paul, but the gospel writer uses it too. And Jesus used it. This man went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. The tax collector's sins, as many as they were, were actually gone. I mean, think about that. If you're guilty of whatever you are, you come before the judge and your sins are gone. You're released. And there are terrible sins this man committed. He was like an IRS man, but worse than that a hit man. Stole money, shook them down. He was a traitor by siding with the Romans. And he knew it, and he took extra money, and he kept it for himself. And no matter what people thought of him, he said, I don't care, I'm rich. And now he knows that as far as the east is from the west by admitting his sin, his sins are taken away from him. And now he just told God what he had done with sorrow, and he is forgiven. Now, to the proud, like the Pharisee, this makes no sense. Here's a guy, full of sin, simply admits he's a sinner. Well, that's the end of him. The Pharisee might think, if I had to admit sins, man, I'd be in trouble. But don't tell anybody. The proud says, wait a minute. God saves the unworthy? <laughs> I thought I was worthy, the Pharisee might say. I am not worthy. The least of your mercies, the believer says. When you naturally, as people who go to church, would see religion, and many people also around us would see religion as a way to find your way to God, proving yourself to be a good person, we supposedly know that God has found us. I think that's what we say, right? Sometimes we act as though God saved us because we're a wonderful treasure. And why not? Who wouldn't want me? The question is who would and why would God? What's the treasure? The treasure is the grace of God. To you, the unworthy, the sinful, the rebellious. Jesus says this man who admits his sin goes home justified The fellow bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul the Apostle, knew that he was the chief of sinners. The Pharisee that thought he had it all had nothing that counts. He had his reward from men, none from God. But this worthless tax collector goes home justified. The other one who looked so good and thought he looked good was actually, now get this, lost, condemned. One of the biggest surprises must have been when he went before God and said, here I am, I'm the good one. And God says, no, you're not, and you never admitted your own sins. This man went home to his house justified rather than the other The precious gift of salvation comes from the worthy one, which is Jesus the Savior, with God's own righteousness that is given to you, to the unworthy, to those like thieves next to Jesus, one of which confessed his sin and would be with him in paradise, and the other who laughed at Jesus. The tax collector is saved, the supposedly righteous one is condemned but it only makes sense if you understand about grace. For Jesus says at the very end, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's a good thing. God loves some Pharisees enough to change them, humble them, justify them, and even hear their eventual truly simple humble prayers. Wait, who, who, who would that be? What what guy was a Pharisee that finally realized he was a chief of sinners? You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the apostle Paul. He was one of those proud guys to start with. He started out putting his confidence, as he admitted in Philippians, in the flesh, meaning in himself. I have reason, he said, for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, That means in himself, he has more. Listen to what Paul's prayer used to be, and he admits it. He used to say, I thank God that I am circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. There he was. As to zeal, a persecutor of those stupid people called Christians. As to righteousness under the law, (sighs) blameless. That's me. That's Paul. That's what he thought. He was a Pharisee. Like this Pharisee, standing, bragging in the temple, who went home lost. But listen to what happened to Paul. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. I counted that gain as loss. loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything I once valued doesn't matter anymore because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Perhaps on his gravestone it might have said, Paul, chief of sinners, and then Paul, saved by grace alone. It has sometimes been said that when we get to heaven, there will be two great surprises. First, who is there? Who will be in heaven? And you might be surprised that they're there. The repentant thief who hung next to Jesus. There he is. The sorrowful prostitute who wept before Jesus and washed his feet with her hair. The one who was forgiven much was truly grateful for salvation. So, who will be there? Repentant sinners of all sorts. Who will not be in heaven? You might be surprised. There might be some famous preachers, and you're looking around for them. Where's the famous preacher? Not here. Where's that noted elder? Those church leaders who trusted in themselves and were in it for themselves all along. That's the danger. That's a terrible danger. But C.S. Lewis said there's actually a third group or a third surprise, I should say, in heaven. Not just who's there, surprising sinners who were saved by grace. Who's not there, people that look good but never did trust in the Lord. What's the third surprise? The third surprise for you, if you're there, will be the fact that you are there. Why should I be here? I don't deserve to be here, you might say, and you should say. Because it's by grace, not through yourself. It is by faith in Christ, not by works, lest anyone should brag. Do you count it all lost to leave behind your bragging, humble or otherwise, or outright boasting in what you are, as the Pharisee did? Bragging about what you've done, what you know, Now, all these catechism questions, nothing wrong with catechism questions, but you're not going to be saved by the fact that you know catechism questions really, really well. Hey, study them, fine, but believe what God says about sin or how good you want to look in front of others. I thank God, you might say, that I'm not like other men going to church twice a day, putting my offering in the plate or in the box in the back. I wear a nice suit or dress and I got to wear a tie. That's me anyway. Got to wear a tie. Not like those pagans and non-reformed people with no ties even in the pulpit, reciting the same humble words, but hiding wickedness and pride in our hearts. You know, one of the nicknames for the OPC, it's kind of a embarrassing one. Some people say, Ironically, oh, there's the OPC, the only perfect church. Cringe. The problem is sometimes we actually might believe that, although it's not true. Are we really better than all the others? Are you the only perfect congregation around here? I don't think you think that, but you could. Better than that church around the corner or across town? rather than what I like to be calling the OPC as the Church for Ordinary People, the Ordinary People Church. I hope you can be like that. Ordinary sinners saved by grace. This is ridiculous. If we think we're sitting here because we're any better than anybody else, I am so thankful that I am so humble, not like that Pharisee over there. I start all my prayers by saying how humble and unworthy I am. So, of course, I am a humble and unworthy, right? Without really believing it, maybe. You just want people to hear that that's what you think or that's what you say. If you don't believe that you are a sinner, you will go home from church today lost and unforgiven. That's what Jesus said you're proud about yourself are you therefore not the proud not the one who exalts himself but the one who humbles himself will be exalted two roads one to heaven one to hell the world thinks the good people go one way and the bad people go the other guess what none of us are good There's only one way to heaven by admitting your sin, and it's not through yourself, and it's not through your own righteousness, and it's not how good you look or how often you go to church or whatever it might be, if you really are denying Christ in your pride. Do you count it all gain, as Paul did, to know Christ, to suffer for Christ, to confess your sins, even when others then suddenly know, surprise, who you are, even in public? What difference does it make when your life shows the love of God outpoured to someone as unworthy as you are, as I am, all to unworthy sinners like you, like me? And when you are truly humble, then perhaps it takes God some particular time or event or occurrence or insight into your heart to suddenly realize how sinful you are, then you don't get any of the glory. None. Zero. Big goose egg. No glory. Of your own. God gets all the glory. He just chooses to glorify you for his own purposes that God's grace might be magnified in your life, not yourself. That's the way it ought to be. So which are you? You might start out to be a Pharisee. You might, by God's grace, be like the tax collector, but there's a full title of a sermon that I haven't given you yet. It says, God, be merciful to me. We know that's what the tax collector said, but you might have to say, as all of us eventually do, together with the Apostle Paul, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, yes. God, be merciful to me, a Pharisee. Shall we pray? Lord, we need to admit it. We need to start stop covering up our sin. We need to stop bragging and boasting even in subtle ways that others might look upon us more highly. Lord, it is such a terrible trap. Forgive us, Lord of every occurrence of this kind of pride which each of us have had even sometime today. Grant us that privilege of humility and a confession and then of humble prayer and humble service in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.